With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Welcome everyone. Episode 381 of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporek. It is December and that means somehow... The NBA season is only three weeks away as of today. So we have to cram in a lot of season previews in a very short period of time. We will start today with the Western Conference lottery teams from last season. Before we get into those, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We are being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. And we are also recording today on Locker Room. So if you are an iOS device, download the Locker Room app. You can come listen to us live, ask us questions, even come up on stage with us and speak in a live podcast. It's a ton of fun. So if you have questions about your favorite team, we're going to be doing a lot of season previews over the next few weeks. So come hang out on the locker room app on iOS. Joining me today, as always, is a man who I know is very excited to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves in 10 minutes. Morton Jensen, how's it going? (laughs) It's going okay. Um, Yeah, the Timberwolves, so could we just skip them? Because I'm (laughs) I'm really not in the mood. Uh, on the bright side, we like every year we, we usually do these divi- division by division, and we just like don't have time based on how the calendar is. And we always dread the Southeast Division. This time yeah. we don't have a Southeast Division pod, so that's a win. That's true. That is true. Oh my god, we we're actually going to enter the NBA season on a high note. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, I guess you could say the Eastern Conference Lottery Teams pod is effectively the Southeast Division pod, but. We'll save that for later. You ruined it. <laughs> we'll save it for a later date. So, Mort, I feel like the, we're, to be clear, we're not saying these teams are going to be lottery teams this year. This is, we're just going fifteen to one up the standings from last year. So, right. starting at number fifteen, remarkably, we have to begin with the Golden State Warriors, who had a league worst fifteen and fifty record. Obviously. Injuries, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry breaks his hand, Draymond Green just kind of half-asses it through the year. That could explain a lot of this away. You know, Steph is now back, which is great. They get James Wiseman at number two. Great. The bad news is Clay Thompson tears his Achilles. He's out for the year. Um, they they manage to they take Kelly Oubre into their big trade exception. So, you know, they've done well enough to rebound from Clay's injury, but more like what, 
How does Clay's injury factor into their season outlook? Did you have them as possible contenders before, and now this drops them down to a playoff team? Are they even a playoff team without Clay? Like, where do you see these Clayless Warriors fitting into the postseason picture? I I never had them as a surefire contender because we just had so many moving parts that we didn't know the answer to, right? Like Steph missed so much time, Clay missed the entire year. You know, Wiggins hadn't played there for more than what was it, fourteen games, twelve games, something like that. So there were so many moving parts that it, it would be just so premature to go. Oh, they're they're a contender. What they would have been in my eye is is definitely a. Con- a contender to be part of the contender conversation. That's a little tor- uh, tongue twisting, but you catch my drift. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think they're a playoff team. I think Clay's injury is so huge, unfortunately, because he's just one of those guys who's superbly efficient, and not just not just the three, right? It's the fact that when you're a guy who doesn't take up many possessions in terms of on ball time, but you produce at a high level. That's also efficiency. Like, this is a dude who doesn't dribble a whole lot. He catches, he shoots, and, and just off of that action, you know, he'll get you 18, 20 points a night. That's a tremendous luxury and, and, and quite honestly, a necessity as well. Not having that guy right there and, and having to funnel the offense significantly more through Steph and and Oubre and Wiggins it's going to probably be an offense that is less efficient and maybe a little bit slower as well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're certainly sacrificing efficiency, if nothing else, because Clay is just one of the most lethal three-point shooters we've ever seen. And, right, you know, I, <laughs> I don't think any, anyone would say that about Andrew Wiggins, especially. Um, but do you think, you know, Wiggins is probably now moving into a higher usage role than no. the Warriors envisioned when they acquired him. They figured, okay, Steph and Clay are going to be our two main guys. Wiggins can be, you know, more of this complimentary 3 and D guy. You know, what are your expectations for Wiggins and Ubre now as well? How do you see these two guys picking up the slack for what, you know, Clay's injury creates? So I actually think part of why they got Ubre was basically to limit the usage rate of Andrew Wiggins as well. Mm-hmm. I think they knew that they needed to do something here, and Wiggins is not going to be that that second guy necessarily. Upre is a very capable offensive player, even though he does have his weaknesses. So I think those two are are probably going to tie for <laughs> like the the second. Uh, they, they're going to juckle for second uh, second leading scorer on the team, mm-hmm. and you, you just have to figure out like what's more efficient. Like, are, are we going to use Wiggins in the three and D role? Are we going to use Upre that kind of way? You know, what, what is the playing style going to be? How are we going to find success for them? Because Wiggins is, like you said, is not a, necessarily a good three point shooter. He has shown flashes, but overall, he's he's not um, defensively. He's also not that great. <laughs> so so the, the whole 3 and D argument kind of goes out the window. Upre, on the other hand, I think is one of those new age fours who can really get things going, like moving. They will have multiple ball handlers. I think Draymond is, could have a pretty good season, actually, because he'll have more targets to play with, even though he doesn't have play. Like the, but in terms of the fit with Upre and Wiggins, I don't know because it's such a convoluted court all of a sudden. Like they, there isn't that release valve in Clay anymore. 
So mm-hmm. now they those two guys in Ubre and Wiggins they have to share possessions and they have to you know create for themselves and they have to get into the paint by themselves and it could go really badly as well. I'm actually pretty optimistic that it'll work out. I I think they're definitely a playoff team, but there is a world wherein this goes all the way bad. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm curious to see how Steve Kerr, like what is their starting lineup without Clay? Is Andrew Wiggins the starting three? And then... No, two. Yeah, right? And then Oubre's the three, Draymond's the four, and James Wiseman's the five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the most likely, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> are both Wiggins and Ubre then playing out of position? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, position, right? Right. I mean, eh, it's in today's NBA. Is is that really a problem? N- not necessarily. I mean. I think shooting is going to be an issue for this team. Like you're not, yeah. you know, Draymond is. These guys can hit like Wiggins can hit a three, Draymond can hit a three, but they're just such, you know, you, you you're gonna happily defer, like you're gonna leave those guys open more often than not because you're gonna be like, all right, I dare you to hit this shot. We'll close off other things, you know, we'll double team Steph to make sure he's not getting this shot. If it means an open three for Draymond, so be it. That's fine. You live right. with that type of shot. You know, Wiseman, I think it's just a huge mystery box at this point. They're very high on the kid. You know, Steph gave an interview, I think it was to the Undefeated yesterday, uh, with Mark J. Spears, where, you know, he's saying, like, the sky's the limit for this kid, and me and Dre are going to be really hard on him to, like, show him what it means to be great. But, you know, this is a theme that will hit throughout these next few season previews, just given (laughs) he didn't know where he was playing two weeks ago. Like, the draft was two weeks ago. You know, they don't have a summer league. They don't have an off season. I don't think it's fair to expect any of these kids to hit the ground running. And especially for a guy like Wiseman, who's played three games of competitive basketball. Actually, no, zero games of competitive basketball in the last calendar year, right? His first three games were in like October and November. So I think there are a lot of question marks with this Warriors team. And that isn't to say... They're not going to be a playoff team because I'm with you. I think they they likely will be, but I think Clay's injury knocked down any chance they had of being a, a legit contender this year. I would agree. I, I think this could be a huge year for Eric Pascal. Mm-hmm. I think he will be one of those guys who could be if he comes in off the bench and plays like the the four three, just a, a combo forward role, and provides some stability. Uh, you know he's not a knockdown shooter, but but much like with Wiggins and Oubre, he can hit a three in that sense, and he's just big and burly. He can get to the line, he can convert at the line as well. If he becomes one of those reliable options, you know you can sort of mix and match who you have on the court at the same time, and that would be huge for them. Yeah, I think seeing how the rest of their like we laid out there's presumptive starting five seeing how the rest of their supporting cast shakes out is another big storyline with this team because you know alec burks and glenn robinson played very sizable roles for this injury ravaged warriors team both of them are gone they did bring back kent Bazemore, which is nice and they got brad wanamaker so like they have rotation level talent on the bench it's just marquis chris yeah i i'm just i'm curious to see how it all shakes out I, i think it's safe to say you know, Steve Kerr is probably yearning for the days where he had too much talent on his hands, and that was his problem. 
I, I would agree with that. You know, the 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 clay news is really the big story of this year. Yeah. I mean, you can look directly at it. If they somehow miss the playoffs, again, I don't think they will, but you could point to that in isolation and go, well, that's that. Yeah, 100%. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's go to the Timberwolves now, Mort, who had... The Warriors were number two pick. Timberwolves had the number one pick. They ended up going with Anthony Edwards, who of the top three prospects seemed to be the best fit with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. But then uh, they also traded for Ricky Rubio. They brought him back to Minnesota, and they re-signed Malik Beasley to a four-year, $60 million deal. So suddenly that backcourt's looking pretty crowded. How do you see the minutes and rotation shaking out there? So, I actually think they're going to move D'Angelo to the two. Mm. I, I have to assume that's the play. You don't bring in Ricky Rubio to have him be your backup point guard, I don't think. You, you need some stability. You need some defense. And I realize that Russell loves having the ball in his hands. That's fine. You can kind of stagger the two. They can start together, play, I don't know, 12, 15 minutes together at night, and otherwise you can stagger them. So... In in effect, Russell also becomes the backup point guard, if you catch my drift. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really concerned about that. What I am concerned about is finding minutes for Koji and Jared Culver at the same time, because those two are not necessarily great offensive players. Uh, in fact, they are definitely not great <laughs> offensive players. Yeah, They are strong defensive-minded guys, and that has value. Um, then there's Malik Beasley, who I think, is going to come in as some sort of super sub, like can play the two, three, just the wing position, just give you buckets. But again, that means you have to figure out what do we do with Okoji and Culver. And I have a take that is probably really, really bad, but I want to see it anyway. I'm excited. Um, and I realize it's bad because Jared Culver is is not a guy who I think he has like a six nine wingspan or something. So it he would definitely be undersized at the four. Oh yes, but oh yes, I would, <laughs> I would like to see it though. I mean, I I honestly think that's what they're going to have to do more often than not, just because they don't have a ton of forward depth. Out, like who, Ed Davis, I guess, and like Jake Lehman, cool, but. You know, there's like no, yeah. There's, so I, I feel like they are gonna, you know, maybe they saw what OKC did last year with these Chris Paul, SGA, Schroeder lineups. That three guard lineup was like lethally affected, effective for the Thunder. So maybe they say, you know, that's that's the route we're going in part out of necessity, and then 
Like maybe, you know, we, we've been saying ever since they acquired Russell that defense was not going to be their calling card. So, right. they, you know, a three or four guard lineup just completely lean into offense and just run and gun teams out of the gym because you sure as hell aren't stopping them either way. Yeah. I'm actually intrigued because – or not intrigued. I'm, I'm actually – I'm smiling a little bit because the, the whole lineup I presented to you, at no point did you stop me and ask – a very obvious question. What about Anthony Edwards? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> well, does that come back to, you know, do we expect him to hit the ground running or is it going to take him time to get acclimated, especially compared no, to... I mean, does it matter? He's the number one pick. He almost has to play at least 20 minutes from the start, right? You would think so. I mean, I, I don't know what to expect from any rookie this year. Like, I don't know if you can i mean maybe he's playing 20 minutes but like i don't think any rookie is playing 35 minutes out the gate or if they do i don't think they're going to be very good so like you know the timberwolves they they have the guard depth to actually be okay with that like you can even if edwards is not an immediate factor between russell rubio beasley culver akogi like they've got you know five guys who realistically could just split minutes at the one, two, three, and then you just plug in gaps <laughs> at the four next to towns. Let me put it this way. It's not going to be pretty. No. Do you think this is the worst? Be pretty. Do you think they're the worst team in the West next year? Uh, that's harsh. That harsh. I, I, I don't know if they're going to be the worst. I think they have talent. It just, it's just misplaced. It's sort of like the Pelicans when they had... Um, you know, Davis and Boogie and Julius Randle, like it was just not spread out all that much. Like they had a ton of talent. It just, it didn't make sense mm-hmm. in terms like, I, I have a hard time seeing them not getting better than the Kings, right? It's, I mean, I think those two teams are in contention. And when I say worst team in the West, it's just like, you have to look at the rest of the West. That's not necessarily an insult to the Timberwolves, it's just like some team has to finish 15th. I don't know who it's going to be, but, you know. It could re- be the Spurs. Oh, my God. It actually could. Yeah. I think Kings, Spurs, and T-Wolves. Because, like, the Warriors, we just said, are probably going to be a playoff team. Then the other ones are the Pelicans, Suns, Grizzlies. Are they three other teams that didn't make the playoffs last year? You know, I, I don't think any of those teams are in contention for 15th in the West unless, like, they just get absolutely ransacked by injuries. Yeah. So, you know, given how bad I think Minnesota's defense is going to be, I I could at least see it. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I, like I, really look at their forward depth chart. It's horrific. Yeah. What are they going to do there? I they just got uh Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I think. So and like he might have to play a sizable role for this team. Ugh. I would rather just play Jared Vanderbilt. And just be done with it because he's actually good. Um, what's the protection on on the twenty one pick in Minnesota? It's top three, I believe. Oh man! And considering this draft class, and I've been I've been looking early on um, because I knew coming in this this would be a good draft class. But oh boy, this is this is going to be really good actually. So even if they 
end up having to sacrifice like a top four pick, like the number fourth pick, that's going to be a huge, huge like loss for them. Yeah. But if they get a top three pick again, then we then we're in business because there are a lot of wings, a lot of league guards, a lot of players who can turn a franchise around in this draft. So, you know, it, it might even behoove them to finish fifteenth. Right. I, I mean, that's another point is if they get off to a slow start, you know, knowing they owe a top three protected pick to the Warriors, do they? Oh, Carl Anthony Towns suddenly has an ankle sprain and he's out for two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or 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 like suddenly, oh, Josh, we got a great offer for for Josh Koji. Like, who can say no to a top fifty five percent? Right, right, yeah. Expect some chicanery from the Timberwolves if if, uh, if their season gets off the rails. Right. So let's go to the Pelicans now, Mort. I, I this caught my eye because you know it's there's this NBA NBA media week going on. Um, and David Griffin, the Pelicans executive vice president of basketball operations, spoke with reporters yesterday about Zion. Uh, he said basically they envision him playing the three, defending the three, and he's going to be on the handle. What do you think of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I again, this is a positionless NBA. I don't necessarily mind it. I do think... They have an advantage if they put him at the you know the traditional four, so to speak, mm-hmm. because he can handle the ball the way that he can. Like then you have Ingram sliding into the three spot. Um, you obviously have well Lonzo probably, and then in a couple of years maybe next year Kyler Lewis. But you have playmaking at the one and two. Then you would have playmaking at the three via via Ingram, playmaking at the four with with Sion. So I think. Like moving down the positions and giving them less flexibility, I I'm not in love with that. But I have to assume it's because they you know got Stephen Adams and they want to start him at center. I suppose, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I also think is just why like I, just in, invest invest in your youth instead. I I don't disagree that Stephen Adams is good. He clearly is, but. He doesn't really fit their their age curve right now. You have Jackson Hayes waiting in the wing. This does seem, in in a in, le, in a less perverse way, like it's Yandre Jordan, Jared Allen situation. Mm. Well, yeah, I was about to ask what you thought of the Stephen Adams trade and extension next. So I'm I'm glad you you jumped in there with that. But I, so I will say, Griffin spoke about Adams, and he said a big reason. Uh, is because Adams is such an elite screen setter. He can do that on and off yeah. the ball. Zion can be used as a cutter away from the ball. He can be used as a ball handler. Um, he also said, I think people put an awful lot of stock into the ability to stretch the court and shoot from the big position, but not enough is made of the ability to set a physical screen and to make the right read as a passer, and Steven gives us that. I don't disagree with that. By the way, I mean, it, he's right. There are more ways to create a, an efficient offense than just, hey, shoot the three. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. I, I just wonder if you end up sacrificing ball handling. So where's Ingram going to play? You know, the guy you just gave a five-year max to. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would guess their starting lineup will be, you know, f- f- three, four, five. We'll get to the backcourt in a minute. Uh Ingram, Zion, Adams, 
And then, you know, when Ingram rests, maybe you can slide Zion down then. And, like, right. Jackson Hayes will have minutes. But, yeah, I mean, if anything, I would have thought Zion would move more up a position than down. So I'm not saying this isn't going to work. I'm just, like, genuinely intrigued to see what will happen. I mean, I like, you know, especially for a team in New Orleans position where they'll face some pressure to make the playoffs this year, but it's not like we need to make the playoffs right now or Zion's going to demand a trade. Like they're still very early into their rebuild, their post Anthony Davis rebuild. So, you know, this is the time to be experimenting with your young guys and see, like push them beyond their limits and see you know exactly what they can and cannot do and then that helps you fill out the rest of your roster so i'm i'm intrigued to see zion at the three i don't think this is like a kevin durant at the two like pj carlissimo back in the supersonics days uh i will say this though they have sort of the same problem with too many wings right because they're also looking for minutes for josh hart and akil alexander walker Mm -hmm. jt reddick is still is still there you know they have to. They also got Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball is still there. You know there are a lot of mouths to feed. And I mean, at some point, I wouldn't be surprised at a consolidation move. Yeah. So that was my question about their backcourt: is how do you see that shaking out with Drew Holiday now gone? Do right. you think Bledsoe and Lonzo can play together as the starting one and two, or do you think it's you know, one of Bledsoe or Lonzo, and then either Redick or Hart as like a more traditional two guard. Defensively, I think they can play together. Um, offensively, I think it could be ugly, especially if you do the whole you know play sign extended minutes at the three. Because while I agree with with David Griffin that spacing isn't everything, you still need it. Mm-hmm. And if you trot out a lineup with Bledsoe, Ball. Sion, Steven Adams, and insert <laughs> fifth guy here. Yeah. That's, that's, I would argue, then then you are making a mockery of the entire concept of spacing. Um, yeah. So, so I, to answer your question, I think JJ Reddick gets that nod. I, I, I have to assume so. He's still an elite shooter that doesn't go away. Um, Lonzo and, and JJ, JJ, I think, is the long term play. I mean, they have to figure out at some point what they have in Lonzo, yeah. unless they already know. You know, we know what we have. We know that he's going to hit restricted free agency. We know what we're willing to match, and we know what we're willing to let him walk for. I mean, outside of that, I, I'm i not sure. Yeah, because he is eligible for an extension right now. If he doesn't sign one by December 21st, he will be a restricted free agent next offseason. So they do face the pressure of having to figure out what do we have in him? Is he our long-term starting point guard? But then you right. get a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who you know just started for a Milwaukee Bucks team that was supposed to win the finals. I can't imagine he would be thrilled going to a you know playoff hopeful, but coming off the bench for them behind you know a fourth-year point guard. Right. So there's a lot, yeah. a lot to figure out in New Orleans. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's go to the Sacramento Kings, Mort. Who... <laughs> okay. <laughs> who... Uh, I, I'll give them credit because I was I was writing a piece for Fansided uh, earlier today about... You know, teams that got worse in free agency, and I was going to obviously pick the Kings as one of them because they lost Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, they were talking about their decision not to match was to maintain salary flexibility moving forward because their, sure. their books are shockingly clean after this upcoming season, even though De'Aaron Fox's extension is going to kick in. But like, mm-hmm. they only technically have three guys under contract until they pick up Bagley's fourth-year option. But, you know, that goes to show they actually don't have a ton of depth on this team. So how do they replace the loss of Bogdanovich, who, you know, played a critical role for them first as, you know, their primary six man, and they moved into the starting lineup, took over for Buddy Heald? Prayer? (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, look... This is the Kings. I don't know. This is a question for Vivek Ranadive. What kind of crazy-ass scheme has he set himself up for? Are are they just going to play three on five now? I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he has the solution. Maybe he has a very creative solution. I virtually hate everything that the Kings have done over the past few years, con- considering you know where they end up. Remember a couple years ago where we actually started becoming somewhat high on their long-term prospects? Yeah. You know, they Once. have just found a right exactly. <laughs> like the one good thing they did was extend De'Aaron Fox, which right. great, okay. But they can't get out of their own way. Um, apparently, they said that Buddy Heal is back in the swing of things and like dedicated. Sure, I I think that's company speak. I don't think a guy who refused to take up phone call from his coach is okay and then locked in and ready to go. I think that is. I don't believe that. Then, okay, Tyrese Halliburton. Sure, they have him coming in. They have Harrison Barnes still, but like to what end? Like, what is what is the ceiling for this team? What are they looking for? What are they trying to accomplish here? I don't even know. Are they are they trying to crap out to actually get a high draft pick? They probably should, considering where they are. But I'm guessing they're not because they keep talking about being competitive, and then saying, "Oh, we want cap flexibility, so let's not." Let's not match Bogdan Bogdanovich because obviously we're so you know fantastic a free agent destination. We have so much interest from from players every single year, right? Oh, I'm tired. They they it seems like they just cannot get out of their own way, and I feel so bad for Monty McNair because I'm not putting anything at his feet. Yeah, I mean the problem for them is that Bogdanovich was their one true wing. I mean, you look at their depth <laughs> chart, like. I feel pretty good about their backcourt. De'Aaron Fox, a buddy healed starting. Corey Joseph, Tyrese Halliburton off the bench. Cool. That that seems okay. Yeah, that's at, fine. At the three, you're now looking at 
probably Harrison Barnes starting, even though he's better at the four these days. And then Jabari, yeah, Jabari Parker. Parker. Yeah. Right. And, and you could ask the Bulls how the Jabari Parker and the three experiment went. It did not end well. So, like, I, I don't think they have a good answer unless it's similar to the Timberwolves. It's just play three guards and say go to hell to small forwards. Because, you know, they have a, a number of bigs. They have, you know, if you want to include Barnes and Parker at the four, possibly. They still have Marvin Bagley. They have Rashawn Holmes. They have Bielitsa. And then they sign Hassan Whiteside, which, Why? It's the Kings. Do we really need to go into the whys? Because it's they. I guess they looked at his stat line and went production. And, <laughs> and look, I, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree um, with with some parts of their logic in regards to Hassan Whiteside. I don't think he's unplayable. No. I think he is a tremendous talent. It's not about that. It's a matter of roster symmetry. It's a matter of mm-hmm. roster fit. They don't have it. I agree with you. It, look, they should fire uh, Luke Walton right now, bring in a new coach who is willing to play quick, and he should just say, you know what? Screw it. De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton in the backcourt, uh, Buddy Heald at the three, Bar- Barnes at the four, Backley at the five. Go get it. Mm-hmm. Go get it. And then you have Rashawn Holmes and Nemanja Bialica coming off the bench in the big positions, just holding down the fort. Go for it. Yeah. Like, Hassan Whiteside on a one-year min deal is a good value signing. Yeah. And, you know, he was on his best behavior last year in Portland. I I thought especially, you know, how he handled himself in the bubble where, like, he had a huge role all year. And then Nurkic comes back. He moves to the bench. His role decreases. And, you know, you didn't hear anything about his frustration, uh, which could suggest that he's maturing or it could just suggest on a winning team he's willing to make a sacrifice particularly with a leader like Damian Lillard in the locker room on a bad Kings team where you know I I think it's safe to say they are not favored to make the playoffs if he starts losing minutes to Rashawn Holmes or Marvin Bagley right how does he handle that <laughs> I'm I'm concerned about Especially given the stuff with heels, where you know he got pissed that he got benched and that he wasn't returning Luke Walton's phone calls. Like I, I feel like the combination of heels and Whiteside in particular, you were just asking for your locker room to explode at one point. Consider this for a moment. This is a guy who averaged fifteen and a half points, thirteen and a half rebounds in a league leading. He led the damn league in blocks with two point nine a game. Here you go, minimum contract. Yeah. I yeah. has that ever been done before? Has have we ever seen a guy with that stat line who with a PER of twenty five and a true shooting percentage of over sixty four coming in and getting the minimum after playing two thousand minutes in a season? I don't think so. This, and and this is just all about you know the the concerns about him. In terms of personality, mm-hmm. you know how he fits a locker room. Um, so yeah, when, when you can get a guy for the minimum who is of that you know talent level, yes, you have to you you at least have to say that is tremendous value. We got to go for it, or at least we have to consider it. But you also have to remember 
there's a reason we can get that guy. Right. <laughs> right. You have to ask yourself, why can we get this guy at the minimum? Because right. you're right. On the surface, that that seems like this guy should be making, you know, when Tristan Thompson and Mason Plumley are getting eight to nine million dollars a year. Right. Why is someone like Hassan Whiteside not even getting like a biannual exception that yeah that seems like you know especially considering a team like boston and toronto when gasol and abaca left like those teams badly needed centers right like you would think they would be first ones out the door to go get this guy and you know who's to say they didn't well i mean i, I guess i'll say it because he would definitely sign with one of those teams if they even offered him a in you know there's yeah. no reason to take a sacramento mm-hmm. man over one of those two so yeah, I, look, I mean, I get it from a talent perspective, but I am just very worried about things going extremely south for this Kings team. Like, if they don't get off to a hot start, or if, you know, if Heald gets benched again, or if they aren't running and De'Aaron Fox gets frustrated, look out, man. This, this Kings team could really, really implode. Yeah, I am not a believer, and, you know, I'm hard on the Kings because... I actually think there is an avenue wherein they could be good. And I think when they have a point guard like De'Aaron Fox, who is so quick, who is so controlled in the open court, who is so downhill, you know, he plays to the strengths of what you need an NBA point guard to be in these this time, this day and age. Like he can he can put so much pressure on defenders, even even big defenders, by going to the rim, attacking the basket, getting to the free-throw line, just generating a ton of pressure, and then having to shooters around him to, to you know, kick outs. And, like, offensively, there's a point guard in there who is just optimized for today's NBA, and he's a good defender. So, like, if you go wrong with him, that is not hit on him. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. on you. And he's entering uh, his fourth year, right? Yeah. So that means so far, like fair enough. When he's a rookie, like you're still figuring out what what is this what is this dude. Now you have had him for two years where he's been really good, and you this is your response for with him going into year three is saying, "Hey, let's not match Bogdan Bogdanovich, who actually fits this playing style perfectly by him being a very good three point shooter." By him being a, a very good guy to like run to the corner to spot up, or a guy who can just kind of you know take over secondary ball handling capabilities uh, if the if the offense breakdowns a bit. Okay, you don't want to do that. Then what is it that you want to do? Just kind of start it over with Tyrese Halliburton? Like, what is your game plan here? Right. My my concern with the financial flexibility angle is really twofold. One. $18 million a year for Bogdanovich, I don't think really hampers your flexibility moving forward. Like, if you really want to move off that deal at some point, you I don't can. think... Yeah, like, I don't think you have to send out draft picks to do so. I think you probably get something in return for him. I know it's a four-year deal. That's concerning. But, like, if you weren't willing to match that price point, you had to be ready to trade him at the deadline. Yeah. Like, you had to know that sort of an offer sheet was coming probably from the hawks like this this was all very predictable and then two like what about the kings over the last five years suggest financial flexibility is a good thing for them like okay cool they're gonna go overpay zach randolph or rajon rondo again 
Like they every time they have financial flexibility, they go out and burn it on overpaid free agents, much like we saw with with Charlotte this year. Like right. for some teams, financial flexibility is not a good thing unless you're so far in a re or like so early in a rebuild where you know you're like OKC. It's like all right, we'll use our cap space just to pick up a ton of picks, young players, whatever. But as you said, you know you've got De'Aaron Fox now going into his fourth year. Buddy Hill's already going to be 28 in December. Like now is the time where you should be ramping this thing up, not yeah. subtracting talent. And right. you know you can't, you just can't lose a player of Bogdanovich's caliber without getting anything in return. Which is why I think ultimately, like let's say that they're going to be picking in the high high lottery in 2021. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the point where they should be willing to and actually aggressive in the trading DR and Fox. Mm. Because why not just start all over again? And because he's getting impatient, like what is he? Doing? I know they only 22. Uh, he'll be 23 uh, next month. But he can't wait around another like three or four years for mm. guys to develop. Like he'll be extremely frustrated, and then he'll, you know, reach his prime years. And then what if you whiff on a guy in the draft, or you whiff on a guy in free agency? Then you know, boom, there's his career just having been wasted away half of it at the least. So my thinking is, if they get a very high pick next year, move off of Fox, start all the way over, move off of Heald. Like, don't keep anyone around over the age of, like, 22 outside of, like, veterans who are there for teaching purposes mm-hmm. uh, and locker room purposes. And then just, you know, hit the reset button. I, I Because what they're doing now, like, having a, a foot in each camp, it just doesn't work. It, yeah. it Like, we've seen it doesn't work. Unless you're the Boston Celtics, in which case you kind of lucked a little bit into it because Jason Tatum was that good that soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't think it's a like I know the guy just signed a five year extension, but I think that's more okay. Let's get our bag, and then we've seen how players can force their way out despite having multiple right. years. Like I don't think if he goes to the Kings next year and says trade me now, they have no reason to listen to him. He has no leverage. He's under contract for five more years. But if the Kings are looking at okay, here's where we are. We have no pathway to getting above a top eight seed. You know, it, they could be proactive in what they decide to do. But, yeah, a lot will determine on how the lottery shakes out next year. And let the record reflect, Kings fans. I don't want you to lose De'Aaron Fox. You earned him. Like, <laughs> you deserve yeah. him. That's, it's, that's not my point. I'm not trying to force him out of Sacramento, but I'm basically saying... You know, your management has has really put themselves in a tough spot. And it may come down to actually, if they want to rebuild again, they have to sacrifice probably their most attractive asset. Like the Bulls did it with Jimmy Butler. It's pretty common. And you can get a lot for De'Aaron Fox right now. Oh, boy. There are 25 teams that would be standing in line for this guy. Yes, you can. You can squeeze the ever-living hell out of a De'Aaron Fox trade package. Yes, you can. Especially knowing he's under contract for five more years. I mean, exactly. that is the guy who, like, every team should be trying. You know, you're going to hear a lot of Bradley Beal trade rumors over the next few months. And, 
you know, who, who knows looking down the line, but like, yeah, if there's any rumblings that the Kings are willing to move on from Fox after this year, giddy up. Man, look, I'll tell you as much. If the Bulls trade for him, I'll, I'll actually revert back to my fanhood. Oh, I really wow. Would. Wow. That, that's like the one scenario because <laughs> I, that's how much I love De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, it, it almost pains me at times to watch Kings games, but I do it because he's there. That, mm-hmm. I think I think so highly of this kid. Like he's smart, his play on the court is so efficient. Yeah, okay, he's got some shooting issues that'll need to be ironed out. But outside of that, he's just so damn quick. And he played in a system here last year that was not optimized for his capabilities. Could you imagine if he had not had Luke Walton roaming the sidelines? I mean, we could have been looking at a year where he'd averaged twenty five points, man. Yeah. I know. We, I mean, we saw it. Like you, you said earlier, there is a blueprint for the Kings to be good and fun and successful. And yes, that blueprint was the 2018-19 season. And then they fired Dave Yeager, hired Luke Walton. He slowed down the team despite having one of the fastest, most athletic point guards in the NBA. And here we are. Yep. I'm depressed. Let's move on. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, good. Well, since you were talking about teams that depress you, let's move to the San Antonio Spurs. Well, I mean, that's unfair. That you're just trying to get me in trouble with Jesse. That's fair. That's mm-hmm. not fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's start on the positive note. They once again pulled the Spurs and got honestly two players who fell to them that shouldn't have fallen to them. Devin Vassell at eleven, Trey Jones, I believe, was forty-one. Forty-one, yes. Uh, both of whom are perfect fits for that Spurs system, and the Love Spurs. It, yeah do have a really intriguing back young backcourt with DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker. White is up for an extension, or he's eligible for an extension this year. If you're the Spurs, would you extend him, or like what price point would you extend him at? I That's a good question. I have not dug deep into like Derek White's contractual value yet. I also think it's worth noting we keep labeling him as one of the young guys. He's 26. <laughs> he'll be 20. That's fair. That's fair. He'll be 27 next summer. Um, but but the, the Spurs do have a lot of flexibility here. And they also have some leverage because let's say a Derek White doesn't really take that huge step forward maybe this year that we saw he did in the bubble. Maybe that mm-hmm. was just a, a bubble fluke. I hope not, and I don't necessarily think it is. But if it is... You, know, you do have Trey Jones and Devin Russell that do can come in and take over those minutes. Trey Jones is good. He yeah. is a very, very good point guard. Uh, you know, when he came into Duke, he couldn't shoot as well. Like he was, he was very inconsistent. He became one of the best defensive-oriented point guards in the NCAA. He was able to get to the basket. He got better as a shooter. There's a lot to like with Trey Jones. Uh, I, I would be very, very surprised. If, if he doesn't have, you know, one of those 10 years NBA career. Like, his ceiling might not be incredible, but I think his floor is fairly high. And for the Spurs, they love those kind of guys, especially in the second round. So, great pickup for them. 
and I think that kind of makes it easy for them if you know Derek White hits the market and some team out there like Sacramento who has financial flexibility goes out <laughs> to you know offer him like a huge offer sheet mm-hmm. they then can look they can look themselves in in you know in their eyes and go okay fair enough this we're not gonna we're not gonna match that because it that is just perverse and we have we have players at our disposal who can fill those minutes um you know one guy we didn't even bring up here Lonnie Walker Lonnie yeah. Walker is is a legit guy who can come into that rotation as well They're, they have a lot of depth at the one through two right it's mm-hmm. it's when you move above that it becomes a little bit worrisome yeah um so I mean I think for the a white extension, I wouldn't go nuts. I don't think I'd go right. probably right around where Dejounte was. I think he was four sixty four, if memory serves correctly. So yeah, something along those lines, like a little over sixteen, right? Yeah, especially if a guy like Fred Van Vliet is only getting twenty one, not even twenty one million per year. Like you know, I, I think unfortunately for a lot of these guys, that's what happened this off season in free agency is going to affect their market value and a lot of these guys might decide to bet on themselves you know hoping that by 2021 22 like you know god willing we'll have a covid vaccine and like we'll be able to have full stadiums again and you know like maybe the nba's finances will go back to normal so do you want to take an extension with this hanging over you for the entire 2020 21 season knowing that you know fauci came out and said like NBA should not have full attendance at any point this year. So, right. You know, that's that is going to decrease hopes of a miracle revenue stream that's it's just not coming. But, you know, starting next year it might. So, I I don't necessarily expect the Spurs to sign him to an extension unless it is just such a team-friendly you know, they have no reason to like <laughs> negotiate with him. They could just basically say like we're going to do a very team-friendly offer. If you don't take it, cool. We'll revisit it next offseason. You know, right. we'll see how how this season shakes out. But you know, I think it's not especially likely that he signs one. Is four years fifty million an insult? I mean, I, I understand I'm, it's on the low end. I understand yeah. that. But is it a fair enough opening offer, or is it one of those offers where Derek White and his camp goes, "Oh, f off"? It it probably is too low for his camp to say yes, but no, just opening offer. I, I'm yeah. not expecting him to say yes. But if I open, like, if I'm the Spurs and I go in and I say four years, fifty million, it's twelve and a half million a year. Uh, you know, that's the opening offer. Right. Is is that so drastic, you know, a number that his camp just shuts down negotiations? I, I mean, I hope not. I hope I <laughs> I hope no agent works like that where, you know, you don't even are you aren't even willing to like give a counter proposal. I you know, I, I I think that is probably significantly lower than what he would ultimately want. But yeah. Yeah, so you know, I I just think, especially seeing what Dejounte got, I don't think he has a ton of leverage here. Mm-hmm. 
and you know knowing that Walker and Trey Jones are in the wings as well, considering his age, you know it, it, I think it's going to be tough for him to negotiate much more than that. But I think he's a piece that the Spurs should want to keep around because, as you mentioned, in the bubble he was fantastic. He had that playoff series against Denver where he like single handedly won them two of the three of those games. You know, he, yeah, the, the year before the bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the talent is there. You know, you're you. This goes back to your refrain, your frequent refrain of like, this guy's a good three point shooter. Why is he only taking three attempts per game? Like we saw in the bubble, he started bombing away from deep, and all of a sudden it was like, oh my god, this Spurs team's really fun. I, I have the numbers right here for the bubble. Actually, eight okay. three pointers a game. Yeah, hit three point one, shot it at thirty nine point three percent. As a result, you know he was averaging nineteen points a game, and in, in less than there thirty minutes, he was he was on fire. So if that's the version we're getting, or the we the Spurs are getting, of course you know four fifty is ridiculous. But I I just when I look over his career numbers and I look at his age. And, and I also look at the fact that he's not superbly athletic, which does limit his his, his potential moving forward. I do think mm-hmm. it's fair to say. And I also generally think because of his age, the, the, he he is closer to his ceiling now or to, to the player that he'll become full-time. That's why I'm kind of scared of like going into the whole you know, 18, 19, 20 million a year kind of discussion. Sure. No, that makes total sense. Um, I think the other big storyline with the Spurs, of course, is you know they're they're kind of like you were saying with the Kings, they're kind of towing the line between rebuild and compete. Now they have a bunch of veterans on expiring deals: DeRozan, Aldridge, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills. We've discussed this plenty of times before, so I you know I don't think we need to rehash whether they should blow it up and you know build toward the young guys because that's clearly the path they are headed. At some point, right. I, I would just say, you know, we'll see what happens, how this start of the season gets off and, like, whether that affects teams at the trade deadline. But, you know, if you're looking for teams that are able to upgrade, you know, the Spurs have a ton of guys on expiring contracts who could contribute to possible contenders. So if, like, I, I think there's real room for the Spurs this season to, you know, see where these first few months go and if they go gangbusters and are like the top four seed then they maybe don't blow it up but if they're mm-hmm. you know hanging on the fringes of the playoff race their playoff streak already snapped next last year maybe they just sell off those veterans to the highest bidder at the deadline and then you know you get a head start on rebuilding around this next generation of young guys that you have what does stand out to me though when I look at the Spurs, it's they don't have that one guy. Mm. They are so far, actually, from having that one guy, that, mm-hmm. that major piece. So, like, how, if they're going to stay competitive, which I implore them for, but it's just, I mean, you and I have talked about that this before. How are they going to get that piece? It's, it's a fair question, because I don't think... You know, I don't, I don't think the Miami Heat are trading Tyler Hero for LaMarcus Aldridge, or like the Boston right. Celtics are not trading Jalen Brown for LaMarcus Aldridge or DeMar DeRozan, anything like that. Like, none of those guys, you can get value, especially on an expiring contract, you can get value for these guys, but it won't be, 
you know, a top five pick in next year's draft. Right. So I, you know, I think the answer, like it was toward the end of the Tim Duncan era, is draft well and hit on, you know, if you're a late lottery team or if you get another pick from another team and you luck into a higher lottery pick, but you got to find your next Kawhi. And it's a lot harder than it sounds, but I think that's their best path. It sounds right. It's uh, I like the fact that they did this somewhat organically, like instead of blowing it up years ago. Even though I I think it would they would have been better off. I do think it's going to be paid back positively that they kind of let their guys expire in a way where they show them the respect. They show the old guys mm-hmm. the respect of having them on the roster, having them you know be in the rotation. Hopefully, that's something that that gives them a a brand out of the outside of the on-court product that mm-hmm. helps them attract creations you know down the line but even then i just struggle seeing like if they could ever get like a a superstar in free agency like who would actively go to san antonio and and i i say that as someone who has said repeatedly over the years i think more free agent star you know star free agents should actually look in the path of San Antonio, but mm-hmm. they just haven't. So what, you know, is it just, is it even realistic playing the free agent market? I I think it's a fair discussion to have. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think a trade or the draft are much more realistic options for them than free agency. No. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's go to the Phoenix Suns now, More, We've talked a lot about them, uh, their offseason moves in last episode. You know, we said they were one of the bigger winners of free agency because of, you know, Chris Paul trade, Jay Crowder, and then the Langston Galloway, Etwan Moore, bringing those guys in on cheap deals. We have to focus on CP3 here. He is the mm-hmm. number one story for the Phoenix Suns this year. Do you think he can do to Phoenix, what he did to OKC last year, just, you know, provide them with that steady ball handler who just like, the you know, the rising tide that lifts all boats. Can he? Yeah. Will he? I don't know. Because I, we, we talked about this before. Basically, it is so difficult to project how a guy in his age group is going to perform over a full mm-hmm. year. Um, he'll be 36 next year. So you're entering that age where the drop-off can theoretically happen. Do I think it will? No, I actually don't. I'm I'm pretty confident it won't. But, you know, you just can't take that many chances, chances with a guy that age. So um, I don't know. I think, I, think he, I think he's so brilliant that even if his athleticism and, like, his speed was just starting to go a little bit, I think he can make up for so much of it just by playing smart, just by using his brain, just by, you know, sharing his vision with people. So it does raise the floor regardless. Absolutely. 
will he be an all-star and <laughs> catching lobs in, in... Oh, no, the all-star game won't be played. Uh, but right. uh, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if he'll be on that level. Uh, I do I, I couldn't see that the possibility exists, though. Yeah, I mean, the, the tricky thing with Paul is that prior to last season, he played 70 games last season in a shortened season. Prior to that, in each of the past three years... He missed at least 21 games. Right. And as you mentioned, he is not getting any younger. He is 35, turning 36 in May. So I feel like that at least begs the question, you know, what is the backup plan if he gets hurt for some, you know, extended period of time or even just in the minutes that he's not playing? Who Booker. is the – yeah, you think it's just Point Booker? Yeah. Like, I already knew where you were going, so apologies. Yeah, yeah. Booker, of course. Booker. Yeah. Like, look, he's been the primary playmaker for so long anyway. It's, it's, it's like, it's fine. And, and, you know, he's, if he has a few months under CP3 before CP3, you know, in this, in, in this example goes down. Yeah. I, I would feel confident in that. And they do, I believe they have campaign coming back. I think he had a team option on his contract. Yeah. So, you know, not that, Campaign is going to replace what CP3 bought to the table, but it very limited eight game sample size. He played well for them last year. Mm. You know, he made he oh, made Gar Foreman proud. Yeah, <laughs> he sure did. But almost eleven points. You know, shot forty eight point five overall, fifty one point seven from three, four rebounds, three assists. Like, you know, not the worst backup plan in the world. I mean, they did trade. Ricky Rubio in the CP3 deal. They also traded Ty Jerome in the CP3 deal. So they, they did... also just moved Elio Cobo, right? Oh, did they? I think they did. It is so hard to keep track of every single move that happened this offseason. I'm fairly sure they traded uh, Elio Cobo because he was a guy that I've been wanting to for years to get a, a, a larger role. Um, yeah. But I th- And I think it was Detroit, but I'm not sure right now because, like you said... <laughs> Um, I still can. I I'm glad we're not doing OKC today because I still can't name every single player on the OKC roster. I have no idea. Oh boy! Well, it actually says Suns on his Wikipedia page, but that no Brooklyn Nets. There we go. Oh, Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. All right. There was Detroit. That's right. It was the Nets. Um. No. I yeah. I think just gonna move it to Booker and and let him figure things out. Like he's he's reaching that point anyway. I think yeah. um, he he's 24 now. He's played. Let me just go check. Almost 11 and a half thousand career minutes. You know he's he's scored over 7,500 points for his career, despite being just 24, which is insane. Um, I yeah. I I think it's I think it's his time now. I think he's about to become a major topic. Uh, on NBA Twitter and in the NBA, you know, stratosphere, because he's going to elevate his game. Like he may not even he may not replicate his raw numbers, but I mm-hmm. think we're going to see a guy who just plays much much smarter, much more efficiently. Just a guy who's gotten better at basketball, to be <laughs> quite frank. Yeah, I mean, he's gonna hopefully go from good stats, bad team to slightly worse stats but better team yeah you know that the question of are you a stat padding superstar like 
you know, do you actually meaningfully contribute to winning? This is his best chance yet to answer that question. And I think we saw in the bubble when they went eight, no, the answer is yes. Cause those games had stakes. I mean, those were probably the highest stakes game he's played in his career. And he right. aced that test. Um, and I think the other big question with the Suns is then what to expect out of DeAndre Ayton, who only played 38 games last year, but in the games he did play, you know, 18 points, 11 and a half rebounds, shot almost 55% overall, and much improved defensively compared to his rookie season. Yeah. So, you know, I think with CP3 again, like there there could be a natural chemistry between. I definitely expect CP3 and Booker to play well together, but I actually think CP3 is going to help Aiton a lot too, right? Yes, by even even like just being vocal about him, vocal in regards to telling him, get your ass near the basket. <laughs> I, I think that would be a smart one. Look, so almost twenty nine percent of Aiden's offense came from three feet and out to sixteen, which, hmm. like, why? That's <laughs> That just doesn't make sense. This is a guy who shot over seventy-two percent within three feet. Like, go up, <laughs> go up hard. Like, this is a guy who barely shot three throws. You're seven-one. You're, you know, muscular. You're chiseled. You, you, you should be getting seven to eight three throws a game. Um, so I, I think CP will let him know that. I think he let him mm-hmm. look. You did you just t- take like a seven-foot? <laughs> jump shot <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> he'll just he'll chew him out and yeah. then next time down the court he'll be like you know what i don't want to get yelled at again oh i have that seven foot jump shot right now but you know what i'm actually gonna put the ball on the floor and get inside and see if i can jam it on somebody there you go it worked hey because i'm a tall human being who's greatly athletic i can actually do this wow right. interesting who knew <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, like, Lord knows CP3 uh, during the Lob City Clippers days with DeAndre Jordan, he has experience, you know, maximizing a much more limited big man. I I think it's, I mean, I I can't say this for sure, but just off the top of my head between Adams last year, Clint Capella before that, DeAndre Jordan before that, like, Aiton strikes me as the most talented big he's played with ever, possibly. Hmm. Just going back. I guess did he he had Tyson Chandler earlier in his career, right? He, he yeah, he with, did with New Orleans. I mean, yeah, you know, so, but, but Tyson Tyson, while good, was never he, he was never that skilled, especially offensively. Right. Like defensively, right. he had great timing, great instincts. But you know, he he came into the league billed as a guy who could do you know everything. Remember, I followed the Bulls very very closely back then. So, and mm-hmm. when he came in, he was way more stiff than, than people thought he'd be. You know, people were p- p- putting him up as the new Kevin Garnett, a guy who could... And again, remember, this is 2001. He's seven foot one, so he, and he can play the small forward position. You know, that right, that right. was what people back then tried to, to make, the small forward position. Um, Aiden is... Yeah, I would argue you're right. I mean, it's the, he's probably the most skilled big man that Paul has ever played with, unless I'm totally forgetting someone here. Yeah, this is this was purely off the top of my head, and I strictly mean offensively, because yes, he is yeah, not, yeah. Aiton is not Tyson Chandler, what prime Tyson Chandler was defensively, but 
Yeah, I mean, no. it feels like... I think you're right there. I mean, the be- the best big man probably might be David West, but that's not... Right. Or Blake Griffin. But, like, these are power forwards more than... Like, just in terms of pure center, I feel like... Yeah, yeah. Aiton is probably the most skilled offensively. So it'd be really... I'm interested to see how those three pieces fit in particular. And then also, mm-hmm. luckily, like, you know, losing uh, Kelly Oubre is going to hurt. But bringing in Jay Crowder, as we discussed last episode, that's a great replacement for him. You've re-signed yeah. Dario Saric to a reasonable deal. You know, you have um, Cam Johnson off the bench as well. Like, this Suns team is going to be, you know, it's the West, so I don't want to say they're a guaranteed playoff team. But if nothing else, they're going to be fun as hell. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm excited to watch the Phoenix Suns for the first time, and I don't even know how long. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I, I think they'll be good. Then let's wrap up more with another team that is going to be fun as hell to watch. The NBA draft Twitter favorite, Memphis Grizzlies, who didn't really do much this offseason because they didn't have to do much. They didn't have a ton of cap space. So you know they, they uh, got Desmond Bain in the draft. They, they got the 30th pick, took him. Um, other than that, I mean, the big addition to this team they made at the trade deadline was, you know, they were supposed to have a ton of cap space and then they didn't. Because uh, they traded for Justice Winslow, and you know they gave up Iguodala and a couple Jay Crowder, a couple pieces. So, how do you see Winslow fitting? You know, God, knock on wood, assuming he's healthy. Right. How do you see him fitting with the Grizzlies core, specifically Morant and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr.? No, I, I think in an optimized world where he is healthy and productive, I think his ball handling and his passing makes him like this seamless fit. What he will need to do is hit the three at a consistent rate to really keep that defense honest. Um, but he's he's one of those guys. He's never going to be someone who who comes in and like you know I'm going to go for for eighteen tonight. Like no, mm-hmm. he's he he just makes the plays. And I think if you get him under those circumstances, and you kind of let John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Jonas Valanciunas take care of the offense. And I realize I didn't mention Dylan Brooks there. This is slightly intentional because I think he had a just too many Kobe shots last season where mm-hmm. I would want him to scale back on that a little bit before I feel comfortable putting him, circling him in as part of the offensive core. Um, but, but no, I mean, just having him out there as a passer, as a facilitator, as a strong defender too, mind you, that's, that's crucial. He could be one of those... You know, Swiss Army knife kind of guys who opens up the entire game for everyone else. Um, I don't want to say necessarily a younger Andre Iguodala because that is not putting enough respect into what Iki used to be. Mm-hmm. But someone who resembles that type of player. Yeah, that a similar archetype at least. Correct. Where it's he's not he would be miscast as a number one scorer as. Iguodala was in Philly post Iverson, right? But as we saw with the Warriors, when he goes there, okay, we don't need him to be the number one scorer anymore. We can just have him be this like do it all versatile swingman, right? Oh, suddenly he's like, <laughs> we don't even need you to score at all anymore, right? Right, just guard the LeBron James in the finals. That's all we need. And like, okay, suddenly he's the finals MVP. Like, it, it, it's just a matter of finding the role that fits him the best, and I. I agree with you. In, in Memphis, next to a John Morant and Jared Jackson Jr., he's not. They don't need him to score twenty points a game, even fifteen points a game. 
It's, you know, you can be a secondary playmaker and kind of just do everything. Like, we're cool yep. with you getting 12 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists. Like, that's the perfect Justice Winslow line next year, I think. That, I mean, that would be great. And then, because I've been harping on this for years, uh, I know it doesn't <laughs> make a lot of sense, but I just want, it, I, I want to see it. I, I want to see Jonas Valanciunas get 32 minutes a game. I, just I feel do. like we're going to say that literally every season, going into the season... And it's never gonna happen. And you're just gonna—it's gonna be your running bit forever. It might be, but I'm willing to die on this hill. He is a good player. I mean, this is a guy who averaged 15 and 11 in 26 minutes last season. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a liability when it comes to the free throw line or the three point shot, which he's begun hitting. Like he's even improved his his passing. You know, defensively, sure, he's not a star, but he's sound, at least close to the rim. I I want to give him more touches. I Especially, there, there's a, another selfish component to this. Because I don't want John Morant to burn out. I'm a big mm-hmm. John Morant fan. I don't want him to be the type of guy who feels that he has to come out and get you 25 a night. I don't think that was, would be a good bet for his career. I think for him, even though he's certainly capable of it, I think for him, he should have this slow and steady rise to the top where he is at his best when he goes into like the six or seven year mark. Because there are so many players, when you look at it, like they come out like gangbusters in the early parts of their careers and then they just get stuck in the scoring pattern with not a lot of influence and they sort of just hang around that. I mm-hmm. want the offense to flow, you know, through other players so he doesn't have to feel that he should shoulder that responsibility at that age. Yeah, that's fair. So that begs the question because, you know, John Morant's sidekick in this new new look grit and grand era is Jaron Jackson Jr., who's heading into a very pivotal third year after this season. He will be eligible for an extension. Right. Uh, took a big leap, uh, especially as a, a three-point shooter this past season. Went from... You know, 2.4 attempts per game, shooting 35.9% from three as a rookie, went up to 6.5 per game, shot 39.4% from three last season. So do you think that's the key to keep Ja from feeling that much pressure, feeling like a you know what Donovan Mitchell had in Utah uh, his first couple of years, where it's like, okay, all right, Jaron Jackson's just got to bomb eight, nine, ten threes a game. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, along with Valanciunas and, and Dylan Brooks in an optimized version, yes, absolutely. Look, so Jackson hit more threes than he took in the first year. I yeah, mean, that that's where we are. That that's that's significant growth, but it's not just a matter of the percentages and the makes. It's how he made them. You know, when we watch Memphis, he takes the most strange ass three point shots you've ever seen from a big man. I think that's fair to say, right? It, it's up there. I mean, yeah. I, I do remember Andrew Bynum attempting three-point shots, so I don't want to say the no, most. No, but, no, okay, but like he, not many. With him, yeah, no, he no. takes seven a game. But I, I'm saying, you know, a guy, who he, he can come off screens and like mm-hmm. be f- several feet behind the line, and he'll just square up. And he'll come down the court, like he'll be the trailer. He'll be a f- few feet behind the line. He'll just grab it and shoot in one motion. And you know what? 
it's not necessarily a bad shot because it goes in. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he shoots like a guard. He, he's a big man or like a guard in a 6'11 body almost. Yes. I think that is very, very fair, especially as a jump shooter. The, the release is a little bit funky, but it's quick. He gets it off at, the, at, 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 a, at a good time. He hits his free throws. You know, what you want to see now for him is now you need to add the big man component. Like, now you need to become a better rebounder. Now you Mm -hmm. need to do those things that makes you a more attractive uh, big man in that sense because you're not going to be able to move down to the three. I mean, while you move around like a guard offensively shooting the three, that's fine, but I don't trust your lateral movement when it comes to, like, sliding out and guarding threes full-time at least. Yeah, you know, he can pick up the occasional one, but he's a big in some capacity, whether that's a center, whether that's like a new age four, I don't care. He's just, he's not a guard. He's not a wing. He's more than that. So that means there are some responsibilities in coming in and rebounding, getting better as a playmaker so you can pass out of the post or pass out mm-hmm. of like the mid-range area when he's when he's in there. Um, but you know what? I, that's one of those things that I, I kind of feel comfortable with will come. Like, I'm not... I'm not sitting here sweating it if you catch my drift. Like, it's yeah. his work ethic, his dedication to the game. It's so unique that I'm like, yeah, he'll get it. I, I, I'm i not worried. I mean, he is still outrageously young for a guy who's been in the NBA for two years. He just turned 25 in mid-September. 21. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, 21. Uh <laughs> So, like, I mean, what, Obi Toppin is older than him already, right? Oh, yes, yes. But, yeah, by almost, a year. yeah, like a, a year and a half of us. So, yeah. you know, Jaron Jackson is by no means a finished product. The fact he's come along this far offensively, I think, is a really good sign for the Grizzlies. I'm totally with you. You know, 4.6 rebounds per game as his career average and also what he had last season. Not Especially great from what you would want from a big man, but I mean, he does have Valanciunas vacuuming up boards. Right. Also, correct. Jay Crowder averaged six point two a game uh, while Brandon he was. Clark is know, there. Yeah, so he has some competition, but yeah, like you know, you'd at least like to see that get up to the six seven ish range, even if he's not averaging a double double. But you yeah, know, it's yeah. got to be above five. Because then you're starting to get some Miles Turner vibes. But, like, at least on the bright side, the offense is there. Uh, unlike Miles Turner, where it's just like, this is this is what... Jaron Jackson Jr. is what we want offensively out of Miles Turner, I feel like. Yeah. I think that's a very, very but, fair thing to say. Yeah. But, I mean, defensively, you would like to see Jaron Jackson Jr. turn into what Miles Turner is. He's not a great rebounder, but great shot blocker. I mean, just fantastic defensive instincts all around. And I think he's got that potential. Um, yeah. We saw that at college. We see, you know, at currently, I think he, for his age, he's a fine defender. I think he's mm-hmm. on the pathway to it. But like you said, he just turned 21. So he's still he, he's still learning the NBA game. Um, yeah. But I, I'm not worried about it. I'm really not. I think this is just going to come in time. And I, I think... What the Grizzlies are doing, just basically loading up with, with the proper players around their established junk core, is pretty smart because they're trying mm-hmm. to optimize those guys to the best of their ability. That's clever. Yeah, I, I am very excited to see this Memphis team. I'm I'm staking my claim right now as my they are my West Coast or my Western Conference team because uh, 
man, I mean, Jaron, Ja, Brandon Clark, now you add Desmond Bain to the mix. Like, yeah. this this could just be such a fun team. They're, oh, we need to do league pass rankings, too. It's another episode, but they, they will be high in my league pass rankings if we have time to do them this year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right, well, that's a good place for us to wrap up, Mort. So thank you all for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there. Please follow us on Twitter, at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bios to give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We are being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. And we also recorded today live on the Locker Room app. So download Locker Room if you have an iOS device. You can come hang out live, ask some questions, even speak with us during an episode. Uh, So check that out, Locker Room app. They are working on an Android version as well for those Android users out there. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. Don't die, man. Mm -hmm.